Hello and welcome back to the adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last chapter, we left Park J. Bong sleeping at the tomb of the glorious farmer. In this chapter, we're going to discover the next step in his journey to defect from North Korea and reach the West. Here we go. The Adventures of Lola Badiola Chapter 43 Checkpoint The rider was exactly where Park had left him, where the tarmac of the road into Jungi Forest disintegrated. He was asleep in the carriage, wrapped up in a thick blanket that he kept under the passenger's seat. He was awoken by the sound of Park's return. He got out of the carriage and put away the blanket. Then he pulled out a small container of food and offered Park some kimchi and dumplings. Despite Park's hunger, he politely declined. It was the North Korean way to always refuse the first offer of kindness. The rider insisted, and this time Park accepted. The two men sat silently munching the spicy vegetables and doughy carbohydrates, and then the rider turned to Park and said, My family is buried there too. Park stopped chewing and looked carefully at his companion. What's your name? Hyun. Do you know where Banshori Station is? Hyun nodded his head. My wife is originally from Banshori. Some of her family still live there. Can you take me there? Hyun thought about it for a while, as if he were imagining the route from Jungi Forest to the station. It's a four-hour journey if the weather is good and there aren't any checkpoints. I can ride half of the way there. Hyun shook his head and laughed. I insist? Hyun stopped laughing. He could see that Park was entirely serious, so he accepted the generous proposal. Without any further discussion, they left Jungi Forest, heading northeast away from Pyongyang and in the direction of Park's rendezvous point with the old grey man at Banshori Station. They agreed that Hyun would ride the first half of the journey and Park the second. Park knew that he was now very vulnerable. He couldn't be sure about how much information Kim had told the authorities about the escape plan. It was possible they knew nothing of the meeting at Banshori Station, Dead Man's Highway and the border crossing. It was possible that Kim had given them a completely different story in order to protect all the accomplices to his crime. But it was more likely that they had tortured some of the details out of him, if that were the case, there would be policemen waiting for Park at various points along the way. He had to be extremely vigilant. The carriage started ascending a long and winding country road, and it was clear that Hyun was tiring. Park leaned forward and tapped him on the shoulder. It was time for them to swap over. Park lowered the seat as he was shorter than Hyun. Then he pushed down on the pedals and got the carriage moving again. It was significantly harder than he had imagined. The chain needed oiling, the wheels were slightly bent and the whole machine seemed to weigh a ton. By the time he reached the crest of the hill he was panting like a dog on a hot summer's day. He gave the pedals one last big push to take it over the top of the hill and allow the momentum to take it back down the other side. As the bicycle carriage accelerated downhill, Park stopped pedalling, sat up in the seat and looked around. From this high point in the landscape, he could see the road winding back down the other side of the hill. At the bottom of the valley, he saw something that shocked him. There was a police checkpoint positioned at a crossroads, with a line of vehicles moving slowly through it. 
Park immediately squeezed the brakes of the bicycle as hard as he could. It was an instinctive reaction to avoid the danger ahead. But the carriage didn't slow down. In fact, it continued to accelerate under its own inertia as the gradient of the hill became more pronounced. Park squeezed and released the brakes three more times, but still the carriage would not slow down. He started to panic. He turned back to Hewn and shouted, The brakes don't work! I can't stop it! Don't worry, replied Hewn, perplexed by Park's state of anxiety. We'll slow down as soon as we reach the bottom of the hill and it flattens out. Park ignored the advice and continued to frantically squeeze the brakes until they reached the bottom of the hill and, exactly as Hyun had predicted, the carriage slowed down to a stop just behind a big diesel bus that was waiting at the crossroads to be inspected. Park watched as the police walked on board the bus, moving slowly up and down the central aisle, looking into the eyes of all the passengers. Then the officers jumped off the bus and waved the driver on. They motioned for Park to move forwards. He did as they instructed, until he was surrounded by policemen. He could feel the sweat of his palms on the handlebars of his bicycle. He sat still and looked straight forwards, avoiding eye contact with anyone else. The policemen weren't interested in him. Instead, they leaned forward and looked very closely at Hyun, who was sitting comfortably in the passenger seat. "'Where are you going?' Banshori, said Hyun. Why are you going there? My mother-in-law is sick. What is her address? The house on the corner of Ponghua and Kyonghung. Satisfied that he was not the man they were looking for, the policeman waved them on without another word. Park pushed down hard on the bicycle pedals, but the carriage wouldn't move. He had no power left in his skinny little legs after the exertion of the hill ascent and the panic of the descent. The policeman shouted at him to move on. Once again, Park pushed down with all his might, but the front wheel was trapped behind a stone and the carriage wouldn't move. The policeman walked to the back of the carriage, bent down and forced their bodies against the vehicle to get it moving. Once the wheels were rolling, Park could maintain the forward motion and slowly ride away from the checkpoint. Although he was tempted, he didn't thank the officers for helping him escape the law. There was no doubt in Park's mind that if he had been sitting in the carriage through the checkpoint, he would now be on his way back to Pyongyang in handcuffs. There was also no doubt that Yun had covered for him. Two hours later they reached the outskirts of Banshori, and Park rolled the carriage to a stop on a quiet side road. He got off the bicycle seat and looked around. Apart from the birds that cut across the sky above them, they were completely alone. I'll walk from here. Okay. Hyun got out of the carriage and stretched his legs. Then he opened up the box below the passenger seat and took out another container of food. He handed it to Park. You'll need this for your journey. For a moment, the two men stood in silence, looking at each other. It was a connection that could only occur between souls who have suffered the same fate. They were one mind in two bodies, and they understood each other completely. Thank you, said Park. Then he reached into one of the enormous pockets of his jacket and took out the bottle of dragon aftershave that he had been carrying since he left his apartment. Here, he said, passing it to Hyun. The two men exchanged gifts. Park turned around and started walking slowly towards the centre of Banshori. 
The light was fading at the end of an exhausting day, but he knew that this was just the beginning of his escape to the West. Okay, as you know, this is a Business English podcast, and I make a big effort to include relevant concepts, vocabulary, and common expressions in each chapter, along with a few personal anecdotes and some general chit-chat. However, in this chapter, it has been difficult to include anything related to business. As we are traveling along a country road in North Korea, trying to evade the secret police. There is, however, some very interesting everyday vocabulary, and there are a ton of phrasal verbs in this chapter. So that is what we are going to be focusing on over the next 15 to 20 minutes. Let's start with some vocabulary. Listen to this paragraph again. Without any further discussion, they left Jungi Forest, heading northeast away from Pyongyang and in the direction of Park's rendezvous point with the old grey man at Banshori Station. A rendezvous is simply a meeting point with a particular person at a particular time. So why do the English use the French word rendezvous instead of the simple English phrase meeting point? What's the difference between the two? Well, as you know from previous podcasts, there are many French words that are used in the English language. And they tend to be words that are sophisticated and intellectual. You see, after the Norman invasion of 1066, the King of England and all of the nobility spoke French for the next 200 years while the peasants spoke English. Therefore, the French words that remain in the English language today tend to have a certain nobility about them. They tend to be quite cultured. They appear, for example, in the world of art. We use expressions like art nouveau, avant-garde, and more commonly the word genre. French words appear in the world of fashion with words like chic, haute couture, and silhouette. And of course, they also appear in the world of business. Entrepreneur has a French origin, as does resume and bureau. Therefore, when a native English speaker uses the word rendezvous, they do not simply mean an everyday meeting with someone. It is somehow special. It is elevated. It could be for romantic reasons. It could be secretive. Or it could perhaps be dangerous. For example, I might meet with my mother at the department store to go shopping, but I would rendezvous with my secret lover under the oak tree in Richmond Park. Just to be clear, 
That is a purely hypothetical example. Now, talking about mothers and lovers, let's just do a quick review of some advanced vocabulary related to the family. Have a listen to this again. Where are you going? Banshuri, said Hyun. Why are you going there? My mother-in-law is sick. Okay, I know that you know almost all the vocabulary related to members of your family. Brother, sister, uncle, aunt, husband, wife, etc., etc. But let's see if you know the really advanced vocabulary in this particular subject area. So I have a few questions for you to test you. Are you ready? Here we go. Question number one. Who were Cinderella's two ugly relatives who treated her very badly before she became a princess? Question number two. What do you call a woman whose husband has died? And what do you call a man whose wife has died? And finally, question number three. What do you call a very old rich man who is in a relationship with a very young, beautiful woman? And what do you call a young, handsome man who is in a relationship with an older, wealthier woman? Mm, some interesting and colourful vocabulary there. Okay, let's go through the answers. Question number one. Cinderella's two ugly relatives were her stepsisters. Anyone who becomes related to you through a remarriage has the step prefix attached to them. So, for example, Camilla is Prince William and Prince Harry's stepmother. And they are her stepsons. Okay, question number two, or rather answer number two. A woman whose husband has died is called a widow. Have you ever heard of a black widow spider? The name black widow comes from the female's habit of eating the male after mating. Now, a man whose wife has died is called a widower. That's just widow with an E-R at the end. Okay, finally, some funny vocabulary for you. If a rich man, who's normally quite old and not particularly attractive, is in a relationship with a young, beautiful woman, he might be called a sugar daddy. And his girlfriend may be referred to as a gold digger. For example, some people might call Donald Trump a sugar daddy and his wife Melania a gold digger. Neither of these terms are complimentary, so handle them with care. If, on the other hand, a young man is going out with an older woman, he is known as a toy boy. 
and she is called a cougar. Literally, a cougar is a large wild cat native to North America. And there was a very popular series on American TV called Cougar Town, starring Courtney Cox, an actress who became very famous playing Monica in Friends. And in Cougar Town, she plays the part of a recently divorced single mother exploring the truths about dating younger men. Now, there is also another term for an extremely attractive older woman. She could be married, she could be divorced, but she is part of a family. And the word is MILF. M-I-L-F. It is an abbreviation for mother I'd like to... Now, I can't say the last word because then I would have to put an explicit rating on this podcast. And some people tell me that they listen to the podcast in the car with their teenage kids. So parents, I'll let you explain the term MILF to them. Although I'm sure they already know, as it's a very common modern expression. Okay, for the rest of this class we will dedicate ourselves to the large quantity of phrasal verbs that are included in the chapter. Remember, with phrasal verbs, there's no point in learning long lists. You just have to add a few to your vocabulary each week. Some of these phrasal verbs are pretty basic and others are more advanced. So let's listen to the sentences and try very hard to hear the phrasal verb and try to work out and understand what it means within the context of the story. Here we go. Here's the first one. Listen carefully. He was asleep in the carriage, wrapped up in a thick blanket that he kept under the passenger seat. To wrap up is to cover or enclose something in material. So you might wrap up a present in paper. And in our story, the rider is wrapped up in a thick blanket. To wrap up has a second and unrelated meaning, which you might have heard in and around the office a few times. You can wrap up a meeting, which simply means to bring the meeting to a quick conclusion. Okay, here's our next phrasal verb. He was awoken by the sound of Park's return. He got out of the carriage and put away the blanket. To put away and to take out are equal and opposite phrasal verbs. So to put away is to put something in the place where you usually keep it when you're not using it. And to take out is to remove something from that place. It could be a drawer, it could be a pocket, it could be your bag. To take out and to put away. Okay, here's the next one. The carriage started ascending a long and winding country road and it was clear that Yun was tiring. Park leaned forward and tapped him on the shoulder. It was time for them to swap over. Okay, to swap over is a little bit more advanced. It means to exchange places or roles or activities. I'll do your task if you do my task. Let's swap over. 
Okay, here's the next one. As the bicycle carriage accelerated downhill, Park stopped pedaling, sat up in the seat and looked around. To sit up means to rise to a sitting position from a more relaxed horizontal position. If you go to the gym, you will know exactly what a sit-up is. It's definitely one of the least popular but most effective exercises you can do. Okay, next. Park squeezed and released the brakes three more times, but still the carriage would not slow down. He started to panic. Slow down and speed up are equal and opposite phrasal verbs. To slow down simply means to decelerate and to speed up is to accelerate. Next. We'll slow down as soon as we reach the bottom of the hill and it flattens out. To flatten out. This is a less common phrasal verb, but it is one that we use in the business world. It means to stop rising or falling and continue at the same level. It's used quite frequently in investment reports or economic analysis when talking about the trend of a particular asset price. For example, you might say house prices have started to flatten out after their steady decline during the economic recession. Okay, there are quite a few other phrasal verbs in this chapter. In fact, I counted five or six with the principal verb to look. But I'm assuming that you are familiar with all of these. When I'm making a presentation to an international crowd, I often look for the alternative to the phrasal verb in order to communicate more clearly and avoid any potential confusion. So let's do that with some of the examples from today. Instead of saying wrapped up in a blanket, I would simply say covered in a blanket. Instead of saying putting away the blanket, I would say storing the blanket or depositing the blanket. Instead of saying it was time for them to swap over, I would say it was time for them to exchange activities. And instead of saying slow down and speed up, I would say decelerate and accelerate. Now the truth is, it's quite difficult to find these alternatives when I'm in a spontaneous conversation because phrasal verbs come so naturally, intuitively and automatically to any native English speaker. And that's why you, as a non-native speaker, need to keep enhancing your knowledge of this particular grammar point. Let me leave you with one final phrasal verb that is extremely important and quite advanced. So have a listen to this final paragraph again. There was no doubt in Park's mind that if he had been sitting in the carriage through the checkpoint, he would now be on his way back to Pyongyang in handcuffs. There was also no doubt that Yun had covered for him. To cover for someone means to provide an excuse for someone or an explanation for something that's gone wrong. So if you cover for someone, it means that they are in trouble and you are doing something to protect them from any negative consequences. Now, you want to work with people 
who will cover for you, and you in return will cover for them when they are in trouble. Because these are the people that you can trust, and these are the people who will risk their own reputation to protect you. And on that thought, we come to the end of today's session. We hope that you will join us for the next podcast. Until then, keep bringing English into your life. And I leave you with one final thought of the day. Before we judge a man as a sugar daddy or as a toy boy, or before we judge a woman as a gold digger or a cougar, we must always remember love expresses itself in many weird and wonderful ways.